let's get ready to study God's Word. of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and it's time for another devotional study. Please be sure to visit us at biblestudy.asbzone.com, where you can find links to our previous episodes and various Bible study resources. Let's have a word of prayer before we get into our study. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your mercy and goodness to us. We thank you for the privilege that we have of studying your word and for bringing it before those who will hear it. And we pray, Lord, that the hearers will be blessed, even as we will throughout this process. Please keep us, give us wisdom and understanding, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, our title. Today's study is entitled, Think Like Jesus. Think like Jesus. In our passage, passage verse, the verse we're going to use for this study today is Luke 15 verse 1, which says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Okay. Luke 15 verse 1. For this study, we're going to camp out in two uh, chapters of Luke, 15 and 18. There are a lot of stories, a lot of parables in both of these. And we're going to get into one parable in Luke 18. But let's look at Luke 15 and verse 1, or verses 1 through 3, actually. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Okay, so they obviously are nearby, but they don't want to have to deal with the publicans and sinners. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, and then he, this is the parable of the lost sheep. Now, in a previous study, and I think I've done this once in True Wisdom as well, you have to really pay attention to how Jesus responds when circumstances come up. I don't think that Jesus was ever unprepared, and I also don't think that he was hyper-prepared, meaning I don't think that he got up in the morning and said, okay, today I'm going to go down to the so-and-so, and I'm going to preach these two sermons and give these three stories and go. Um, at the same time, I don't think he just winged it, right? So I believe that he was prepared. He obviously studied, took, spent time with his father, spent time in devotion and prayer, had an idea of what he wanted to do, right? Because the Bible tells us that if we will put our way before God and ask for his direction, that he will lead us in the right paths, right? So we're not just flying blind. We're not just guessing. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that Jesus was, okay, here's how my scripted day is going to be. 
he reserved room for the Spirit of God to speak to him and move him in directions. Okay? He sought for opportunities to shift things. And I don't think he simply used his divine powers to, um, to know in advance exactly what's going to happen. Okay, you're going to get up. You're going to go here. Pharisees are going to attack you. Here's how you'll counter. And this is what you'll do. Like, he didn't do that. And I feel very comfortable saying that he didn't do that because we don't do that. We don't get that. Right? Our whole day is not laid out like that for us. God allows things to arise so that we can choose to lean upon him, choose to rely upon him. And he's willing to give us direction at the time when things arise so that we can be overcomers, right? And we, Christ is our pattern. So Christ is not going to live his life in a way that's different from how we are expected to live our lives. Okay? And at the same time, if he was using any divine power in the way that I just described, it would have to be the Holy Spirit working through him because if he's using his own divine power, then he has an advantage we would never have, right? Lacking inherent divine power. So Christ would pray, right? He would spend time in devotion. The Bible is very clear about that. He would spend time in devotion with his father and he would get guidance. And God is always prepared, but God's interactions with us are not last minute necessarily, but more in the flow of events, God doesn't always fix everything as soon as God sees it needs to be fixed. The best example of that, or at least an early example of that in the scripture, is in Genesis 1. Right? Uh, Genesis 2, really. Where God recognizes that it's not good for the man to be alone. When the man recognizes that he has a situation that none of the animals have, then God intervenes. So God recognizes things in advance, being God, but he implements solutions for things in as near real time as possible. He may plan way in advance, right? Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That was planned from long before the earth was created, but it didn't go into effect until sin came into effect. And each of the steps played out in the time, right? The Bible talks about in the fullness of time. Okay, lots of background info there. But the publicans and sinners come to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees are present, but they're focused on why is he interacting with the publicans and sinners? Because obviously they feel that those people are beneath them. Right? They feel that those people are beneath them. And because that's how they were treated, the publicans and sinners didn't go anywhere near the Pharisees. They stayed away from them. They did not interact with them. They did not think highly of them, etc. Here's Jesus now. And the publicans and sinners can tell that there's a difference in with Jesus. Even though Jesus interacts with them, he does so in a way that isn't catering to what they do. Jesus is in it to support the individual. Christ's 
mission is about saving the individual. So he draws near to the individual. He makes himself available to the individual. He's receptive to the individual. But he doesn't engage in all the activities of the individual. No publican or sinner was confused about the types of things Jesus would be engaged in. They knew that he was above them. They knew that he was holy. They knew that he was pure. None of them ever thought, I wonder if he would like to get, um, if he'd like to involve himself in gambling or whatever. They knew that none of those pursuits were, um, were things that he would engage in. But they also felt like he was approachable. They also felt like he wasn't going to berate them personally or even as a group. They weren't going to be berated. They weren't going to be talked down to. And so they were drawn to him because he had something they wanted. He had respectability. He clearly offered something that was better. They were willing to hear him. The Pharisees did not have that kind of a hold on the people. And the Pharisees were not well regarded by the sinners. The sinners knew that in general sense, the Pharisees were better than them. In a general sense, I'm sure many of them thought, yeah, those guys just are better at covering their foolishness than other people. Um, And that may have been true. I don't think every Pharisee was hypocritical. Right? I don't think every Pharisee was hypocritical. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus while being members of the Sanhedrin, while being Pharisees, it is pretty clear that they were more even-keeled than many of these other folks, right? But they had their issues. And it's hard to belong to a group like that and not also have issues. But they weren't ever plotting against Jesus, right? They defended him. So let's go over to Luke 18, Let's go over to Luke 18, and we'll start at verse 9 of Luke 18, because this deals with the Pharisee and the publican. And it says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Notice the two criteria. Trusted in themselves that they were righteous, self-righteousness, and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Okay, that's a parable Jesus gave. And 
it's a parable because it's it wasn't a specific person that he may have been referring to, but it was common enough that that uh, he didn't have to use any symbols in the parable. I mean, it's two actual people that you can absolutely see this happening several times a week or a month. Why did the Pharisee behave the way that he behaved? Why did the publicans not want to deal with the scribes and Pharisees? Why did many people not really want to deal with the scribes and Pharisees? The only emotion that the Bible ever shows in relation to the scribes and Pharisees were fear. The people were afraid of being cast out. The people were afraid of being thrown out of the synagogue. That's the only thing. There's nothing anywhere in the Bible that says that X, Y, and Z loved the Pharisee or the publican. Unless it's Jesus. There are instances where Jesus expressed love to these folks. Okay. Remember what our title is. Think like Jesus. In our daily interactions with people, we're going to give off either a Jesus vibe or a Pharisee vibe. I know when we think about the Pharisees, we think in terms of having a high standard and um, looking down on other people, thinking that you're justified by your works, etc. and so on. And each of those elements has truth in it. Each of those elements has accuracy. But the most, the most important part of being a Pharisee or avoiding Pharisaism is how you believe other people are. Right? Jesus says it. Luke summarizes the parable. The parable was said, he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. We may not despise others openly. We may never out loud say, or even as this publican in our prayer, we may never openly compare ourselves to someone. But if we think it, if we feel that based on what we know, what we do, where we go, who we hang out with, if we feel that the elements of our spiritual experience are an indicator of our spirituality, then we're very much in danger of giving off a Pharisee vibe, even if we avoid the words. Even if we realize that we can't be saved by our works. But we feel that because of certain works, we're better off than someone else, right? So, yeah, we get the theology, we're saved by grace through faith, yeah, 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 not saved by works. But I have a better diet. I dress properly. Um, I don't do immoral things. I don't go to immoral places. I give tithe, right? All the things that this Pharisee said, not extortioners, not unjust if we feel that the things we do indicate that we're a better person, even if we're willing to say out loud that we aren't saved by those things, but if we use those things as a metric to identify who is better or worse, if we compare ourselves 
then we are not thinking like Jesus. We're thinking like the Pharisees. And it should be no surprise to us at that point if people don't like dealing with us, if people aren't sure, they can't put their finger on it, but they prefer not to be around us. When you're living how you are supposed to, when you're living in Christ and you're learning things in your relationship with him and you're implementing things in that relationship with him, other people are going to see the difference, right? The Bible talks about the disciples, how the Sanhedrin took note of them and knew that they had been with Jesus. People are going to see if you live differently, if you understand you live differently. Remember the demoniacs? When Jesus comes and changes your situation, you're going to stand out, okay? But if you're not approachable, if because your situation has been changed, you look down on anyone whose situation you don't think has been changed, if you look down on people who are not doing all the things you're doing or don't even seem to be doing all the things you think they already know, if you view them on some sort of a ranking, then that vibe, that, I don't want to say aura, <laughs> got to be sure, I have to avoid uh, using words that, that are, are, you know, more spiritualistic in nature, not, not uh, religious. If the attitude that you exude is one of ranking of persons, right? Respect of persons. You see people that are well-off, that are this, that are that, and you elevate them in your mind. And then you see people who are struggling, have, you know, have a bad background, maybe learned what you did but f fell off, whatever it is. If you view people based on wh what they do or where they are in a different place to you, Right? As a person. I'm not saying you pretend that someone who is an alcoholic is not an alcoholic. Right? I'm not saying that you pretend that someone who is abusive is not abusive. I'm not saying those things. I'm not saying that you're blind to it. I'm saying that you need to separate what people do from who people are. Ultimately, ultimately, what you do becomes who you are, right? It's true. By beholding, we become changed, and whatever we do repeatedly becomes us. I get that. But I'm saying in terms of evaluating the worth of a person, if we're not evaluating the worth of a person as Christ evaluates the worth of a person, then we run the risk of comparing that person to ourselves and judging that person, even if you are discreet, and you're sensible enough not to say anything, if you never talk about them, if you never utter anything about them, if you never say anything out loud, but you still, when you see them in your mind, they're in a different place because of the things they do or don't do, then you will despise them. You will despise them. 
If you don't look at them through the eyes of Christ, you will despise them. And when you despise them, they will feel it, regardless of what kind of face you put on. Sure, if you spend five minutes with them, if you're passing down the road and you just happen to run into them, they may not notice. They may not have enough time. Although, I will say this, people who are on the end of being despised will frequently catch on very quickly. When someone is in a low place societally, they're used to people looking down on them. They know how to catch it. It's, it's like, name that tune. You only need a couple of bars, a couple of notes, rather, to know the tune if you're familiar with the tune. In the same way, if you're on the receiving end or if someone is on the receiving end of a lot of verbal abuse or just people looking down on them or, or not thinking highly of them, they'll feel it much earlier than someone who may otherwise be oblivious or, does, or who doesn't already see themselves like that. And if you don't learn to think like Jesus, if you don't learn to think like Jesus, then what happens is you will be a Pharisee in the eyes of the people who you despise. And they won't want to have anything to do with them, to eat with you. And it won't matter that you know about salvation. It won't matter that you know about Christ. Let me use this example. You know when you find a good deal shopping online you found something you bought a tool and it's awesome you didn't even expect it but it's just great you saw a sale you caught a sale you found a coupon on something you found out about something that has made your life better and you run into your friend you say hey you have to get such and such i just saw this deal i just obtained this benefit and you trust me get it you're gonna wonder why you didn't get this thing before when you have that conversation with them, when you share that knowledge with them, that information, something for them to act upon, if they're really your friend, you're not saying anything negative about them. You're not thinking that they're dumb for not knowing about this. You're not thinking that they're inadequate or that they're inferior because they didn't know this. What you're saying to them is, I found something of value. And because you're my friend, I want you to have this same experience that I have. That mindset will encourage someone who knows you, and maybe even if they don't know you, but in, but in our example, this is someone you know, that mindset will encourage them to pursue this. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? They're offering blah, blah. There's a special on such and such. I just got this awesome such and such. They will be drawn to it because you're not making a judgment call about them. You're offering something to them that was a benefit to you that you realize they don't have. And that same mindset is the mindset that is required in evangelism, whether formal or informal. I'm not just talking about an evangelistic series and service. I'm talking about as we go day by day, looking and praying for opportunities to reach people, we need to pursue them from the same place. The idea that should permeate our minds is, I have had this wonderful experience that has been a benefit to me, and I believe that you would be benefited also, and I'm going to share it with you. They're not under any obligation to accept it, right? You're not going to just keep ramming it at them 
no matter how many times they say, okay, fine, I'll think about it, or no, I'm not interested, you're going to share it. You're going to be exuberant about the benefit it has for you, but you're otherwise not going to think anything negative about them. That attitude is very different from the pharisaical attitude. That attitude is the attitude that Christ had. And that's the attitude that we need to have if we're going to draw people to us because they see Christ in us. It's a very tricky situation because it's it's not something that you learn and practice. It's something that comes of your relationship with Christ. If you have the right relationship with Christ, you will exude the right experience and indicators to those around you. If your experience with Christ is incomplete, you will be like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. He was upset at the young son's redemption because he himself had the wrong relationship with his father. And even as the younger, as his younger brother was getting the right relationship, it wasn't dawning on him. This is the approach that we need to take. This is how we need to look at it. If we see people and we think of ourselves as better, or we look at other people and we're like, oh, I need to be like that person. If we have those kinds of ideas, I'm not saying you can't ever look at someone who's doing something or accomplishing something and think, oh, that's something I could learn to do better. That's an approach I can learn to take. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we start to compare ourselves and we either envy people for what they do or have, or we despise other people for what they don't have or what they do or don't do. That mindset is the mindset of a Pharisee. The mindset we need to have is the mindset of Christ, where we have something to share with others that will be of benefit to them. And it's because we care about them that we want to share it with them, not because we're better than them or that they're worse than us and need all this help. Okay, And I'm not saying that it's not true. They may be in a worse situation than you are, and they may need help. But if you think about them in those terms, then you will be thinking about them in a way that is not productive as it pertains to the gospel. It's not good for social relations. It's not good for spiritual relations. We have to learn to look at people as Christ looks at them, and the best way to end up in that situation is to have the right relationship with Christ ourselves. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Let's close out in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your goodness and your love. We pray, Lord, that you will help us, that we'll have the right attitude to our friends, family members, those we come in contact with. Help us that we'll have a right relationship with you so that we can have a right interaction with everybody else. Please help us, Lord, to uh, think about these things the way that Christ did. Help us to have the mind of Christ to pursue things from that perspective. And Lord, when time shall be no more, please save us in your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks again for listening to this podcast. You can reach us via email at biblequestions at asbzone.com. We look forward to hearing from you, whether you have questions, comments, suggestions, or concerns. We also recommend that you check out the True Wisdom podcast, where Robert and I discuss Bible stories and other Bible topics together. Both of these podcasts can be found on over a dozen platforms, including Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and more. Please remember these ministries in your prayers. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study and share His Holy Word. Thank you.